imperfect as we are, Lord. We want to be holy like you. We want to be righteous like our Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And so, Father, fill us this morning with your love, with your spirit. Affirm to us our strengths. Show us our weaknesses. Uh, Give us ears to hear your message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you guys say hi to somebody before you sit down? Usually that's not on yet. All right, everyone, go ahead and take your seats. Come on in if you're in the foyer. We are going to keep on moving forward this morning. My name is Amy. If we have not met, I am part of the staff here at Sierra Bible. Uh, I'm here to welcome you and share with you all the things that are happening uh, here at the church. Um, It's kind of interesting. You know, we just had a whole lot of events you know, go go into completion as far as the turkey shoot and trunk or treat and the boot drive. Um, all of that went really well. I want to uh, give you information about that and how it went. I'm actually going to put it in the newsletter, I've decided right now, so that you can read it and I don't have to say it. Uh, so check your newsletter in the next couple weeks if you want to know what happened at trunk or treat uh, as well as the boot drive, as well as the turkey shoot, um, because we have just so much else happening um, in the next couple months. Uh, one of those things is actually on happening on December 1st. Um, this is a Thursday evening. It's when the worship team usually practices, and they are holding worship ministry auditions. So if you have an instrument that you've been tinkering with at home, or you sing in the shower and you think you sound awesome, then you could come out and be a part of these auditions. If you have questions about what that actually looks like or what kind of music to bring, um, please talk to Pastor Brad Knoll. He will be here that evening, and we welcome you to to come out to that. Um, Also, we have a baby shower, whether you believe that or not, in a couple of weeks. They're just coming. This is actually the last one of this year, and this one's a little unique. Liam and Lily, if you know them, they have um, a baby girl, and they're expecting a baby boy. Um, However, they had their baby girl during 2020, so they were not able to have a baby shower. We weren't able to throw them one, so uh, this is unique in that it's their second baby, but we want to still Uh, bless them and have that baby shower for them. So that is in a few weeks. It's actually a Monday after Thanksgiving. Um, And then something else happening. Yes, that's right. Night in Bethlehem. Okay, so I want to talk about Night in Bethlehem for a moment. Uh, Some of you uh, that have been here for a while are familiar with this. This is an all-community outreach two-night event where this sanctuary is transformed into the Night of Bethlehem. So there are tents, there are crafts, there are, there's food, there's activities for the children. Um, everyone is in century attire. They're dressed up. Um, but it's really cool as we provide all that. And so you could show up just as is, and then before you walk through these doors, we have robes for you, we have all sorts of things of whatever you want to become. And so when you come in, you become a part of that, that environment. 
Um, however, this is a huge event. It requires a lot of volunteers. We need at least 25 to 30 volunteers per night in order for this event to even take place. And so we have signups online, but I do want you to connect with Erin. Erin Lynn here is in the back. She has been running this uh, event for a very long time, and she wants to connect with you personally um, and you know, get to know what you want to be, how you want to be a part of it, um, and get your name down. Because we do need to know in the next couple of weeks if we have enough volunteers. Um, and if we don't, then it's something that we can't run. It's, we don't want to burn out five people trying to make Night in Bethlehem happen. Um, but it is an amazing event. And so we have Fellowship Sunday today. That's going to be next door in Ray Hall between services. And so that's where Aaron's going to be. That's where you can go after service to connect and to have some food and connect with Aaron and get more information about Night in Bethlehem. Uh, and so before Jesse comes up and we continue in the book of Mark, we are going to have a special guest. Her name is Shannon Brimer. <laughs> Do you not know Shannon? <laughs> Shannon is going to share about Scarlet Hope this, uh, this Christmas. Hi, you guys. For those of you who don't know me, I am Shannon. And I grew up in this church since I was five years old, and now I'm 30, so that's a long time. Um, but I was also gone for like 10 years, and now I'm back. Um, but I'm engaged, so now I'm leaving again. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I love him. He's great. <laughs> um, but all that to say, I am the executive director for Scarlet Hope, which is a ministry in Reno, and we exist to share the hope and love of Jesus with um, women in the adult entertainment industry. And so what that looks like is every week we are in the strip clubs in Reno and we are just loving on the women in there. And for some crazy reason, they don't hate us and they want us to come back every week. Um, and that is just the favor of the Lord um, in the eyes of Pharaoh. Like, I don't understand how the management want us to continue to come back, but they do, and that is Jesus' grace. So um, every holiday, we're able to love on the women in the strip clubs by bringing them some type of gift. So like on Valentine's Day, we bring a rose. On Easter, we bring a gift to the women. On Thanksgiving, we go in at like 10 o'clock at night um, and we bring yummy pies for the women because believe it or not, they are working on Thanksgiving. Um, and every Christmas, we bring a Christmas gift for them. And um, the last few years, SBC has been a part of those Christmas gifts. And so I just want to thank you for that. Um, but there is a woman that we know, and for the sake of her privacy and safety, we'll call her Sarah. Um, and we have had some interesting interactions with her over the last year. Um, I remember distinctly last year, she would not make any eye contact with us, and she would completely ignore us every time we asked her a question or said hi to her. Um, and last Christmas, we um, saw her coming up, and we braced ourselves for her ignoring us, and we just were like, hey, we have a Christmas gift for you. And she was like, okay, and like grabbed the gift and was like, thank you. This is really sweet. Um, and walked away and didn't say another thing to us. Um, and in the last year, it changes week to week. And honestly, like every night, like she'll either say hi to us and be super talkative with us. Um, and then she'll go down and she'll be on stage and she'll come back up and she won't say a word to us. So um, it's just very clear that like darkness knows exactly what to do and uses shame. And shame always secludes us and makes us look inward. Um, and so I just wanted to thank you for being a part of um, us, being a part of Sarah being open to talking to us for the last year. 
Um, and I am confident that the Lord is doing a work in her as we continue to pray for her. Um, and there's so many other women out there, women that are more open to talk to us and don't feel judged by us. But um, those ladies feel so loved when we bring Christmas gifts in. And so today I wanted to give you the opportunity to join us as we seek to share the hope and love of Jesus with these women through Christmas gifts, just a simple Christmas gift. Um, you can do this by sponsoring one woman, by sponsoring a whole club, or by joining in the total goal of reaching all five of the strip clubs in Reno. Um, so to sponsor one woman, it would only cost $20. Um, a whole club would be about 500 and to reach all five clubs, we would need around $2,300. Um, and so we will need the funds by December 1st to prepare properly for Christmas outreach. Um, and you can write a check um, to Sierra Bible Church with a memo that says Scarlet Hope, if you would like to give towards that. Um, and so I just want to thank you for literally pouring into Sarah's life this last year and so many of the other women. Um, and for just being such an incredible church partner. So I love you all. You can take it. It's yours, Mike. Mike, your mic now. Amy's gonna need it next service. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 13. Uh, these guys would love to hand you one. Let me just make a couple other mentions. One, if you're new, uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, I think today is a great day to be here. If you probably haven't been to church in a while, uh, or <clears throat> somebody really loves you, and they said, hey, you should come to church. So we're, th that person knows that what we're talking about here uh, is beautiful and worthy of discussion and of importance for eternity. Uh, so we're glad you're here. And, and if you want to get more plugged in, uh, make sure you download the app, go to the webpage. Uh, there's a little uh, thing in your front seat. If you take that to the info booth, if you're new, they'll give you a gift. We have a gift for you there. So make sure you take advantage of that. Um, but thank you for being here. And for those of you uh, who, who uh, <laughs> are part of the church family, you know I've been gone for three weeks. So it was intended only to be two. And then I got home from vacation and came down with strep throat. And that hammered me pretty hard. And then Brad Beers preached the sermon I wanted to preach. And so this morning, I, this just goes to show you this morning how dedicated we really are to not avoiding texts in scripture that are difficult. Uh, Mark 13 is considered by theologians one of the hardest chapters to interpret in the entire Bible. And it is controversial for a lot of different reasons. I'm going to do my best to tease this out. But just so you are aware, theologians who are far smarter than I am have wrestled with this. And there's a good chance for some of you this morning, you're going to leave with more questions. And for that, I say, praise God, because hopefully you'll come back for answers. And some of you are going to be upset that I didn't talk about certain things in the passage that, that you wanted me to teach. And so inevitably, some of you will leave disappointed. And for that, I don't apologize because I think the text will speak for itself. And I think what's important uh, will come out. So let me give you the, the premise of basically what chapter 13 is all about. So let me ask you a question that inevitably you probably have asked at some point as a Christian. When is the end? When is the end of the world? When will it occur? Who will be involved? How will it happen? 
And some of you have read the Tim LaHaye books. And I will tell you that is a poor source of your theology and doctrine. Uh, but it piques the interest. In fact, I was telling the elders this morning that the, the number one book that congregations, people in the congregation want, taught, is the book of Revelation. The least <laughs> favorite book for pastors to preach is Revelation. So there's a gap. And rightfully so, because when we talk about the end times, we only can speculate on a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different stances on the how and the when. And I will tell you this morning that the title of the message is End Times? Question mark. End Times? And then the rest of the title is Stay Awake. Be Ready. The emphasis of the text will not be so much on the how and the when as so much as it is on the attitude of how we prepare and how we get ready for the end of the world. And so you'll be, I'm, I'm assuming your interest will be somewhat piqued. And, and, and here, let me just share with you the tension as a pastor. I want our congregation's interest to be far more on, on the, the, the emphasis of the gospel and on Jesus than all of these extra things. And so my hope is that, yes, things in the Bible that are all on the outside and they're fun to study and they're interesting, but really what should, should move our hearts is the gospel. It's the person of Jesus. Amen? Uh, and so if you will, stand with me. I'm not going to read the entire, entirety of chapter 13. And uh, we do this each week to just honor the word of the Lord. And this is uh, a fun one. So <laughs> remember last week, Jesus was in the temple. And specifically, while he was in the temple, he makes an illustration of a widow who drops just a few pennies, if you will, into the offering box. And Jesus uses her as an illustration of giving and joyful giving. But I want you to know that he's in the temple. Because in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus will exit the temple, and this will be the last time he leaves the temple. The historical place where all of the Jews and all of the Judaizers would worship God, he leaves it for the last time, and this is what occurs, chapter 13, verse 1. And he came out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what a wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat down on the Mount of Olives. Remember, it's just a little bit higher than the Temple Mount. So going to overlook the Temple Mount. And opposite the temple, and Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, here's the church's question, right? This is the, this is the Tim LaHaye book question. When will these things be? And what will be the signs when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus said to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and he will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars, rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. 
for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be first proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you, don't be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given to you in the hour, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We trust you for your word, for it is holy and true and changes us to be more like you, Lord. Do that this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Please be seated. Okay. Bear with me. You are the first service. There's an understanding a little bit of what you need to know about really how radical the temple is. I know Brad touched upon it last week. I have touched upon it a little bit. We talked about it in, in, in Haggai, uh, and that's a great series if you want to go online and listen to that. But the temple at this time was actually considered a world marvel. It, it, one who came to the temple was actually said by Josephus, who was a historian of that day, that, that literally the temple was overwhelming for the visitors who would come to the temple. In fact, it was said in that day and age that one had not seen true architecture uh, and true marvel of architecture or a true building was the way they would say it unless you had seen the temple. The temple was massive, 36 acres. It's the equivalent of 12 football fields. The temple when it was standing, when, when the disciples say, look at the stones, it seemed as if they were polished like marble. They were white. And they were quite large. They were 12 feet by 12 feet by 40 feet. They were some 10,000 pounds for these stones. This temple, and in fact, the, the walls were about 150 feet tall. And these stones were so massive and large that, that one could not help but, but be in wonder of it all. And if that wasn't enough, they actually inlaid on top of the wall gold. There was a cornice around the entire temple. And, and what happened is during certain times of the day, the gold uh, would hit, the, the sunlight would hit the gold and it would blind you. This place was massive. It, like I said, it was an architectural marvel. 12 football fields long, 36 acres. It was said that it had clear paneling, columns that were as thick as three men, uh, their arms lengths three men wide. The gates were gold. The place was just amazing. What's really interesting is that it actually took uh, 80,000 laborers and 80 years to actually complete the building. And, and inevitably, this place is going to fall. It's going to disappear. You can't, if you go there today, you cannot find this temple. This temple no longer exists. Jesus leaves the temple, and it's, it's a physical representation that the way of sacrifice and the way of, of serving God and worshiping God was now moving into a new covenant with Jesus Christ. So he leaves the temple. And the disciples are doing what everybody else would say of the building. Jesus, we've got to talk about this building. 
we have to talk about how beautiful it is. And so Jesus leaves the temple symbolically, sits across from the temple, is pointing towards the temple, and he says to his disciples what we just read. You see this temple? There will not be one stone on top of another when it's all said and done. And so the question then, if you can imagine in the disciples' minds, when is this going to happen? Because the temple wasn't even completed yet. It hadn't even been finished. To them, this was a radical thought. This was in the distant. But however, the disciples probably thought, oh, wait a minute, he's going to tear down the temple because he's going to reestablish a new governmental system that will replace the temple. It fits in with their political agenda that they think Jesus is coming to fulfill. And of course, for those of us who've read some of the Tim LaHaye books and have gone through Revelation, we can't help but wonder and ask, you know, all of the different things that are tied in with this. How about the Antichrist? When are the end times? When is the millennium? Some of you aren't asking those questions at all. But the end times have piqued the curiosity of Christians for centuries. It has not only piqued the, the, the thoughts of Christians, but even non-Christians. How many of you have ever been uh, 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 bored enough to watch the predictions of Nostradamus? Anybody? No, just me. Then you have the Jehovah's Witnesses. Nine times they pre predicted the end. 1874 was the first one. Didn't happen. So they decided to do it again in 1878. Didn't happen. So they tried 1881. <laughs> then 1910, then 1918, 1925, 1975, But what we find in this passage is not Jesus encouraging us to set dates or to even identify who the Antichrist is. That's not what the passage is about. It does not tell us to look and find the false prophet or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Rather, the, the whole passage is an admonition to be on guard and to stay awake. Go to the conclusion of chapter 13 and look at verse 35. We've not read the entirety of the passage, nor will we have time to do so, I don't think. But he tells us the end of the conclusion, the end of the matter. Therefore, stay awake. What is the encouragement to this passage? Avoid spiritual sleepiness. Avoid laziness in your walk with Christ. Avoid it. Look at Mark 13, 9. Be on guard, you'll see the words. Mark 13, 23. Be on guard. You'll see those words. Again, Mark, Mark 13, 33. Be on guard. Three times. Be on guard. Stay awake. In fact, if you're like me and you kind of really love the Bible and you like studying and writing in it, you will find in this chapter alone 19 imperatives in just verses 5 through 37 alone on how to be prepared for the end times. It's about preparing for it, not knowing exactly what's going to happen. So he comes out of the temple one last time as a picture of the glory of God leaving the temple. We have to ask the question, I think, what are the old ways that you and I are to put behind us in preparation for his return? The old religious system The old kind of thinking of I can earn my salvation. I can get to heaven if I'm just a good person. How many times have you heard that? And I was listening yesterday to Jordan Peterson and 
you know, I love some of his clips. And, and, uh, and I think Vadi Bachman said something very similar. Jordan Peterson basically said, two-year-olds are the most violent people on the planet. But we're lucky because they come in soft, cuddly packages. Avadi Bachman says something similar, basically the premise of what Jordan Peterson is saying uh, from a non-biblical point of view. And what Vadi would be saying from a biblical point of view is all you need to do is look at a two-year-old to see the depravity of man. I know we laugh and giggle, but imagine if any of us did some of the things our two-year-olds do as adults. Imagine not getting your way in the grocery store, flopping down on the ground, and kick and scream and yell. Some of you are like, well, I am already that way <laughs> inside. But the reality is, is that, that, that we have this depravity. And God is letting us know that this old lifestyle that the Jews had surrounded their life around, we have to put behind working our way to salvation. My whole point in the two-year-old violent thing and all that is just to say that we're born into sin. Society has no way of solving man's problems until society says man is born in sin and man struggles and travails and is selfish and self-seeking and self-centered. And it isn't until we put those things away and we understand that we have a need for a Savior who never threw the tantrums of a two-year-old. That is Christ. The glory of God has left the temple. It's now sitting on the, 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 the Mount of Olives in what is considered the Olivet Discourse. That's what this is. This is the longest speech of Jesus in all of the Gospels. And what is his first point? Here's my first point. Here's the first point of the text. Deception is coming. Don't be led astray. Jesus says the end. Okay, wh when is the end? What is, what is going to happen? What does Jesus say in verse 6? Many will come in my name. The word there is I am. It, it, it's, it's a declaration of someone coming, not only saying I am Christ, but I am coming in the name of Christ. And he says many people will come and deceive many. Many antichrists will come. And they will deceive many. They will come in my name. They will teach false doctrines. And they will hopefully lead you astray. That's chapter 13, verse 6, as well as verse 22. And what does verse 22 specifically say? I think it's in verse 22. Let me double check. We'll read it together. For false Christs, false prophets will arise. Matthew, along with other pieces of scripture, says, do you know where they will arise from? In the church. You may be in the building. We ain't going to put up with your trash. That's what the text is saying. They will rise among you and look at what they will do. They will perform signs and wonders. I have to. I have to. I am obligated to. Tell you that if someone comes in the name of God and their whole ministry is surrounded around signs and wonders and miracles. Your bell should be ringing. Your red flag should be waving. Why? Do you know the greatest miracle that all of us actually need is the miracle of confessing your sin, admitting that you need a Savior in Jesus Christ, 
and through the simple act of faith, which is a gift from God, he makes you born again. That's the miracle we strive for. Right? We don't need the, the building to look like a zoo. We need more individuals like Shannon, preferably females, that will go into the strip clubs and perform the greatest miracle that those women need. I need Christ who can lift shame and guilt from me. Many will come, he says. Don't be led astray. In Acts chapter 8, we find a gentleman by the name of Simon the Magician who literally wants to pay for the power of God. In 1 John 2.18, it teaches this. Children, it's the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Did you hear this? It says, many are coming. He is coming. Many have come. In other places, it says, he's here. The spirit of that which is against Christ. He goes on and says, therefore... We know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And then Peter, chapter 2, verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people. It's among us. It's here. It's existing. Jesus is saying literally, literally, that there will people be inside of the church that will lead you astray. And Christ's encouragement in the end times is, don't let someone lead you astray. And we're told exactly how to do that later in the text. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. The earth's going to go away, friends. The earth is, th this is why the whole social movement of, now we have an obligation to take care of our world. We have an obligation to take care of our people. But you know that's not what drives us? That what doesn't drive us is social responsibility. What drives us is salvation. And we should live in the world and glorify God in the world and give people a, a picture of heaven in the world. But our job isn't to fix the world. Our job is to fix the heart. That's the goal of the church. We have the keys that no politician has, that no Democrat, Republican, or anybody else has unless they have faith in Christ. We can't fix society, society's ails. In fact, no government really can. Just take a look at history. It's not working out so hot. But you know who can? Christ. And where does it start? In your heart. If you want to change the world and be prepared for the return of Christ, pay attention to your heart. And then verse 7 and 8 tells us that some of these signs, Jesus says, it's the breakdown of the world. Do you see it? He says there will be earthquakes. There will be famines. The earthquakes described in the rest of the book of the Bible and the rest of Revelation are quite impactful. Take a, a listen here. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilence. That, that's in Luke. Revelation 6, 12, I looked. And he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black, sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth. A fig tree cast its unripe fruit. Why is that all important? That's also in Mark 13. In Mark 13, he tells us, look at verse 24 of chapter 13. In those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
These are signs of the end is near. It's going to happen. Revelation 16, 18. There was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came upon the earth. Did you hear that about the end times? There will be an earthquake that has never been seen on planet earth. So great an earthquake and so mighty, it says, that the city, the city of Jerusalem, is split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. L.A., goodbye. New York, gone. Babylon, which is imagery of the great sin in the world, was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, sunk into the ocean. The mountains were not found. What is he teaching in the end? The geography of the earth will completely and radically be changed. Are you ready? There will be famine. Revelation 8.11 actually tells us people will die because of the water. It's not pure. It's bitter. I mean, doesn't this sound a lot like what we're hearing on the news already? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin your world here in a minute. But this is what Jesus says about the breakdown of the earth. Look at verse 8. I think verse 8 is super important for us this morning. The end, what we would call Verse 8b, it's after the first sentence. These are but the beginning of what? Birth pains. So Sarah, so you know, Sarah, she does worship here and, and oversees a lot of our social media stuff. Sarah just had her first baby, Sarah and Gabe. Just, uh, I think, was it Friday or Saturday, those of you know Friday? Thursday? Oh, that day too, that day worked. Um, the baby was breached. And they knew that going in. So they scheduled everything, right? And, and so Sarah posted this really great video of her in the hospital. She's got all her cords attached to her, and she's pacing back and forth in the hospital, literally like walking in a circle this big. You know, and you women, you can understand. And so can you if you're a child, right? Because you know when a child falls down and they scrape their knee? Have you ever noticed children try to run away from the pain? <laughs> That's kind of what she was doing. She was trying to walk it off, right? Walk, but there's no walking off birth. It's painful. And, and you'll know, ladies, you'll know that in the beginning, it's like, whoo, hey, ow. And eventually it gets to the point, right? And, and it's spread out five minutes. And then, and then as the baby begins to, to progress, it ends up in two minutes and then 30 seconds. And it goes from, ooh, hey, ah, to, oh, oh, mm, oh, something like that. <laughs> something like that. And the crescendo. That little child, little to me, huge to my wife, comes into the world and we rejoice. And, and Sarah, Sarah's, she knows the baby's breached, which means the booty is coming first. And this is her prayer. She's pacing in there. I was watching the video this morning. Lord, I pray that baby comes out booty first and slides out no problem so the entire hospital knows there's a God and he's good. I don't know if that it was that easy. <laughs> but the baby's healthy. And she's here. And I wasn't there to share the moment, but I can guarantee you that as soon as Sarah held that child, and any of you who've ever had children, you know this to be true, all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the sorrow doesn't exist. It's gone. To the degree that most of you who've had one, will have another. 
Some of you were brave enough to have another after that. Some of you were stupid enough to have more. <laughs> right, Ben? And we rejoice. We love it. I was actually in a, 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 a Hispanic restaurant down on vacation, a Mexican restaurant down in uh, Palm Springs. Restaurant was busy. I've got all four of my kids, you know, and we're ordering. And it's a zoo, okay? One of the things when you have four children, like, like I do or like Ben does, one of the things that you don't realize is that restaurants, grocery stores, parking spaces, vehicles, none of it's made for big families. It's not. So everything is a pain in the butt. And so here we are, and we're just crushed into this booth because it's the only place. There's six of us that, in a booth that should only sit three. And this old man comes up to me, and he says, your quiver's full. <laughs> that was it. <clears throat> I said, I know, dude. Get out of here. Eat in peace, you jerk. <laughs> All of that to be said, what Jesus is saying is, earth is going to decay, and it's going to get worse, and the birth pains are going to get more radical. But the rejoicing of the imagery that Jesus gave us is, once I come, you won't remember any of it. Your pain will make all the sense. Your tears will make all sense. That's why I just love holding babies. Because when you hold that child, it's a promise of the peace that all of us will have one day when Christ returns. They are but birth pains, he says. There are going to be those who will lead you astray, he says. But don't let them, and don't let the hurt detract you from what's to come. See, we hear of the rumors of wars. We hear of the famines. We are experiencing some of those things in our world now. What if I told you they are just but the beginning? They're nothing. Wouldn't that change the way that you view the way you live? I, I think that this text changes everything about the way that we live life. It changes the way that we hear news. It changes the way that, that we hear the election process and who won and who doesn't. It changes everything because our hope is not in America and our hope is not in our politicians. Our hope is in the Christ who will return for his church. We rest in that. Jesus continues on, point number two. He went from a global level of breakdown now to a personal level of breakdown. Verses 9 through 13. Persecution is expected, but don't be anxious. That's point two. What's the teaching? You're going to be delivered over councils, beaten in synagogues, stand before governors and kings. There'll be family division. Husbands will reject their wives for their faith. Wives will reject their husbands because of their faith so on and so forth, even down into the children family. It's what he's saying. Division is going to grow stronger. Persecution is going to grow stronger. Your family is going to look at you and they're going to tell you that you're crazy and that you're nuts. But once Christ has renewed your heart, there is no returning. There's no going back. You can't help but see the world for what it truly is. So he says, be on guard. I can't help but think of our great brother who, who has pioneered in the coronavirus with John MacArthur, when he refused to bend the knee to the government, 
large gathering of people during coronavirus and they were fining him. I think it was like $50,000 a month because he opened up his church and was letting people come as they felt led to hear the Bible and to hear Christ and to put their hope not in what the government officials were saying, but in the word and what God was saying. I mean, he stood up to Mr. Governor of California. And at the end, guess who won? God. This is the text here. You're going to stand before governors. You're going to stand before kings. Don't trip on what you're going to say, though, because the Holy Spirit's going to give it to you. Lots of weaknesses in MacArthur, I'm sure we could find, but him standing against what the world is telling us and standing rather for the gospel, that is what every Christian should be about. Do you know it is estimated that 70 million Christians have died for Christ? 70 million Christians, 45 million in the 20th century alone. What the norm is in the world is persecution against your faith, persecution against who Jesus is, just follow what's happening in China. Why is it that the world is so anti-church, anti-God? You can't help but see that it is demonic and it is, it is being led by a spiritual principality that is against the gospel. Jesus says you're going to be persecuted, but don't worry about it because you're going to be a witness. Your persecution will be a witness to the world. It's not a tragedy. It's an opportunity. That, do you know that, that that season of lockdown for the church was a season to let the light shine into the world? That we as Christians are not afraid of dying from this earth because this is not our hope. Now, Jesus says, hey, guess what? Before this happens, all the nations have to be reached. Verse 10. Don't be anxious. You'll have Holy Spirit help. Now, let, let, let's... Okay, now we get a little more convoluted. Now I gotta go fast because we're, we're going close on time. And all of you are like, okay, you gotta really just get to the one piece of scripture that all I care about. All you care about is verse 14. Read it and then you'll know why. I know what you're thinking. Look at verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand... I find that verse to be hilarious. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. How many of you know what the abomination of desolation is? You're the reader. Do you understand? <laughs> Took me a while this week. So I know you don't. <laughs> let me help. What is he saying? Well, first of all, in order to understand a term like this, the abomination that causes desolation, we've got to go back into the Old Testament. We've got to have some understanding of what Old Testament teaches. That language is found in Daniel three times. And the first time that it occurs is in, I think it's 160 BC, if I remember correctly. 167 BC. This is a historical reality. This happened. This isn't something that anybody argues over. This actually happened. 167 BC a gentleman by the name of Antichius Epiphanes. Anybody remember that name from history? That literally means madman. 167 AD, what literally happened is this particular Syrian king went into the temple 
and he overtook the temple and he sacrificed in the temple on the altar a pig. That's a big no-no because Jews don't eat bacon. So he desecrates the temple. And that language when he says, abomination of desolation, putting a pig on the altar is an abomination that causes desolation. That means all of the priests and all the Jews go, we can't, we can't be near this. This is, this is unethical. This is unspiritual. This is unholy. But this occurred. In fact, this particular gentleman, which is quite interesting, he set up an altar to Zeus because he thought he was Zeus incarnate. He literally renamed himself Theos Epiphanes, which means manifest of God. This man came in and said, I'm the reincarnation of Zeus, sacrifices the pig on the altar, builds for himself a statue of Zeus, which he thinks it's him, slaughters 80,000 Jews, puts another 40,000 into slavery. Then he forces the priests to eat the pig. Whoa, that's kind of antichrist, don't you think? Fast forward. 70 AD. 70 AD, what literally occurs is a gentleman by the name of Titus Vespasian comes in. He's a Roman general, comes in to the temple, and 70 AD enters the temple, and it is thought by theologians this is a desecration. And what happens is he, he literally burns the entire temple down with these large fireballs to the extent that the heat, what is believed, what happened is that gold on the cornice melted down into the stones and the Roman soldiers tore apart that entire temple to get to the gold. And that is why the temple doesn't exist today, because of 70 AD. Now, what am I trying to get at? You have a past historical reference of this abomination that causes desolation. You have 70 AD, which many say that is the abomination of desolation. There, there is a whole belief system called amillennialism that, that believes that at that occurrence, that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's already fulfilled. It's already done. It, it's been passed. I'm going to give you a different option. What I believe is kind of, what I believe is occurring here, and I'll give you five reasons why, but I got to move fast, is 167 BC, 70 AD are foreshadowing to another moment to come. And Jesus says, not one generation shall pass. There's a lot more to say about that, but essentially those who were there, Jesus gave his disciples an image of what the end times will be like. You're going to see exactly what it's like. But 70 AD is not it. There's more to come. Why do I say that 70 AD is not it? There, there's at least uh, five reasons why. I think I'll give you four this morning. Um, where is it? It's hard to give you the, the uh, reasons when you can't find them. But don't worry, I'm... found it. Okay, number one. Why I don't think that 70 AD is the fulfillment. Number one, birth pains are for the end, not the whole pregnancy. We're, we're not there yet. I don't, I don't think the birth pains are, are ramped up enough. Number two, 
The gospel must be preached to all nations. I don't believe that's happened yet. Number three, Jesus says there will be suffering like there has never been on earth before. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 44, he likens the end, he likens the end to the days of Noah. Where literally the whole earth is wiped away. He uses the language of one is washed away and one stays and washes or watches his his brother or sister go down the, the, the ocean or whatever it is. That's number three. Number four, he tells us of the radical signs. The sun and the moon are darkened and the, the stars fall. I haven't seen that yet. Now, now that I'm fair to those who are in the all-millennial position, if I'm fair, they will tell you that the sun and the moon growing dark and the stars falling are the picture of the 70 AD battle, that the stars falling were the literal fireballs going into the air and darkening the sun and obliterating uh, the temple. So there is evidence and good theological evidence to say 70 AD is it, but I'm, I'm not there, and neither is Tim LaHaye, for whatever reason that matters it doesn't but all of this to be said is i think that this is a picture of more persecution to come now we get into the the rapture and that we won't be here for that and and much of that there's so much more to be said but let me emphasize as we close with all of that now being said in chapter 13 verse 24 through 37 three ways to break down that last segment and this is really the crux of it all number one jesus is going to gather his elect It's right there in 24 through 37. Jesus is coming for you. And not in a bad way. Number two, 28 through 31, Jesus basically is telling the church this. The time is near. Take a look if you don't believe me. Look at the actual chapter. Look at the verses. The time is near. Do do you hear me, church? We've got to take ourselves seriously. We've got to take life seriously. So number one, he'll gather his lack. Number two, the end is near. And number three, only God knows the time, not even the sun. Make sure you're looking at the text, please. Verse 35 through 37. I know I'm not reading it, but, it, but we're adults in here, most of us. Read it. Only God the Father knows the time, not even Jesus. So anytime someone says, I know when Jesus is coming back, Go ahead and look at him and say, fool. You're a fool. Not even the sun knows. Not even the angels know. Only God knows. So what do we do with this information? I think it's really clear. We eagerly wait and we pray for the return of Christ now. And we cling to his everlasting word in verse 31. But Jesse, tell me more. I want to read more. I want to know more. I get it. Verse 37, what does it say? Stay awake. Don't be sleepy. We have a message of hope. We have a message of help. We have a message of healing. That Jesus Christ is alive. That Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. That Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords. That Jesus Christ makes our lives meaningful. That Jesus Christ makes even death and pain meaningful. That Jesus Christ makes our suffering meaningful. That Jesus Christ makes our persecution meaningful. And one day, you and I will die. We'll leave it all here. And we'll be with him. And everything we need, everything we've really desired will be given by him. 
and everything that we've suffered will be healed and everything we've longed for will be fulfilled in him. He is the promise and he's the fulfillment of the promise. He has worked in history past. He's worked in the gospel and he's working now. Be awake, be alert, and be looking for the signs that Christ is coming. The end is nigh. And we're not freaking out. We're like, bring it on. Right now. On election day, preferably. That'd be a good day, wouldn't it? Woo! That'd be great. Man, it's a good thing I'm not God, because I'd be like, I told you so. (laughs) Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we, uh, gosh, so much to cover in here. And I actually am thankful that that I just have to confess there's just no way I can do it all. Not even in a six-week series, Lord. Because your word, your word is easy enough to understand that, that any child can get it, but it is so deep that we'll never plumb its depths. And I just pray that a, a study like this, a, a time together like this, will encourage our congregation to go deeper into the knowledge of the word, to join a community group, to join a Bible study, and to learn. Because, Lord, our future hinges on this. And I pray, Lord, in this room for those who have yet to give their life to Christ that they would hear a message like this and go, whoa, there's got to be more to the world than what I think. Whoa, the end is near. Maybe I should take my soul seriously. And Maybe the best thing to do this morning is to give your life to Christ. And the good news for you this morning, if that's you, is that it's really easy to do. You you confess that you have need in Christ who is God who forgave you of your sins and you're now willing and ready to set aside your own self-focused life. God this morning can free you from you. And I pray, Lord, that no one this morning will hesitate but they'll ask you to come into their life now and that they'll take the next step to reach out to one of the pastors, myself, or an elder, to make that confession and to ask for the next steps. We trust you for your saving work. We trust you for your sanctifying work. We trust you with our futures. Though persecution and tribulation may come, we know that you'll make sense of it all one day. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. God bless you this morning. Make sure uh, you... Head next door, get your kiddos, and uh, we'll see you next week. Amen? And I won't be in chapter 13 still, so.
what you say. The way I am speaks over me, and I am what I am. Cause the great I am said He speaks over me. What you say is true. the great I am. Say, 
Yeah. 
Good morning, everybody. Come on in and join us. We're so happy that you're here to gather together. And let's worship our Lord God. It was a beautiful morning. I, um, I came for uh, first service. And, um, and so when we left to drive around the lake, the sun was just coming up. And in this dark time, with clocks changing and all that, the light was coming up, and it just was such um, one of those awe-inspiring moments of the light piercing through the darkness, but also how the light reveals all the colors, because white isn't white, right? It's a combination of all these brilliant colors. And so the sun was this glorious yellow, but then all the clouds were this purple and pink, and the, the blue lake and the, the steam coming up was just magnificent. And it's hard not to think of our creator in those moments who um, is the best painter of all. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to worship our creator, our God, our king. Thank him for who he is and what he's